All right. Hey, dads. Good to see you all here. How many of you are dads? Wow. We got a lot of you out there. So let me ask you this question. If you have a daughter, how many of you would have to honestly say at least at one point of raising her, she had you wrapped around her finger? How many of you just have to admit that? All right, wives, if you're sitting next to a guy that's not raising his hand and you saw it, go ahead. You can raise your hand for them on their behalf. That's right. And uh, guys, if you're raising a son, how many of you at least at one point going to some sporting event that your son was doing, that you got a little carried away and probably got a little too into it? Let's just be honest about that, okay? All right, okay, all right. Or maybe it was your daughter's event and you got too into your daughter's event. Okay, let's just be honest about that. Uh, anyway, uh, there's all kinds of challenges and, of course, all kinds of pleasures of being a dad. And so we want to just honor you today. And so if you're a dad, would you stand up, please, for us? And let's hear it for our dads. And we want to, uh, we want to, pray. We want to pray for you and, uh, and thank God for you and ask God to give you uh, strength and perseverance. Some of you are grand parents, grandfathers, and uh, so you've got a, just a spray of kids, and so uh, we're just excited to be walking alongside of you. Uh, I didn't mean to infer anything about a spray of kids. So anyway, let's just pray real quick. Lord, thank you so much for these dads, and uh, there's a lot that we see that they do, and then, of course, there's a lot that they do that we don't see at all, and I want to pray a special blessing on them. I pray that you would uh, just continue to build into them, help them to lead their children and lead their families. And Lord, we know that uh, there are times where being a dad is a very challenging uh, part of our lives. And so I pray that in those challenging times, as men, that we will turn to you, that we will recognize we don't have all the answers, we don't have all the strength. It's not always up to us. Sometimes we just need to turn it over to you. I pray that you give us the wisdom and the humility to do it. And I pray in other times where we really do need to just stand up and it's on us that we would stand up and that we would lead in the way that you've called us to lead. But I thank you for these guys. I thank you for the legacy that they have left and are leaving. And I pray today especially that they will sense your pleasure in them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great, guys. You can be seated. All right, all right. Okay, hey, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. You are going to need a Bible because some of it's not coming up on the screen. I have kind of a fun dad thing coming up tomorrow. Uh, Kate and I, Kate is my 19-year-old daughter, and she's going to school in Florida. And so we're getting in the car tomorrow and having the great pleasure of driving I-10 all the way across the bottom of the United States. And so uh, that's going to be a fun dad-daughter event in her car that we just refurbished. So we're praying that it gets there and just all things are good. So we're going to have a good time doing that. Um, and I know also that whether you are a dad or not, that something we all have in common is that we have a dad or had a dad. And for some of us, that is a, you know, that brings a smile to our face, and immediately we think mostly of positive things, and Father's Day is, is a warm event for us. But I also know that for some of you, Father's Day is a little painful, because the relationship with your dad was not what you wanted it to be. 
uh, not what it probably should have been. And so it's sort of a hard day for you as well. And uh, so let me just say a pastoral thing to you is um, your Heavenly Father knows that. He knows that. He knows that uh, maybe on the earthly side of fatherhood, you didn't get the best deal. And one of the great promises that God gives us in his scripture is that he will be a father to the fatherless. And so I just want to encourage you with that. If, if today is a struggle for you, um, and, and, you know, and, and not that it shouldn't be painful, that's okay, but you do have a father that is paying attention and he loves you. And there will be a day when you are, see him face to face where all of that agony and all that pain will disappear. And he's waiting for that day too. So anyway, happy Father's Day. And I want to talk to you today about a quality that all dads need to have. And that is leadership. Dads lead. Whether you want to lead or not lead, dads lead. The question is whether we lead well. And I'm not chauvinistic because I would also say equally, moms lead. Moms lead as well. If you're a mom, if you're a parent, you lead. That's part of what you do. You're leading your children. And in fact, all of you lead probably in some place. In some place, you are called to be the leader. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's something in the neighborhood. Maybe it's some organization you run. Uh, maybe it's just one other person. Maybe it's a whole group of people. But all of us lead, uh, almost all of us, I would say, lead somewhere. And so I want to talk to you about a virtue that is just absolutely essential if we're going to lead well. And we're going to look at David's life. Many of you are familiar with King David. He's one of the heroes of the Old Testament. And uh, he was a fantastic leader. And he had this quality. So we want to look at this quality. And we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, verse 32. We're going to look at a story that is very familiar to probably just about to all of you. If I say David, what is the next word you usually think of when you think of David? David and Goliath, right. So we're going to look at that story. And um, let me just set up the story for you. Uh, it takes place uh, in a valley called the Elah Valley. And we have a picture of the valley actually there. Uh, the valley was about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem. And so the Israelites were fighting, leave that up. The Israelites are fighting the Philistines and they are in this valley. And in fact, the way that that's set up is on one hill is the Israelite army, and on the other hill is the Philistine army, and they are pitted against each other, and basically they're both waiting for the other army to come down and attack so that they'll have the high ground. That was the military strategy back then. So they have these sort of set up here, and it's at a stalemate because neither army will move forward. And then finally, a big, ugly, tall, nine-foot giant named Goliath came down into the valley and he said, hey, instead of us all fighting, why don't you just send out one warrior to fight against me? We'll settle it mano a mano and whoever wins, that's the army that wins the day. And so uh, as that all happened, the Israelite warriors, and it's interesting because some of them were seasoned fighters. We know that they were militaristic but there was something about Goliath that just made them retreat in fear. And so as they looked at Goliath, I can just picture it. They're all sort of shoulder to shoulder looking down at this big, huge guy. And they say, I'm not going to fight him. Are you going to fight him? I'm not going to fight him. Are you going to fight him? Just down the line. And everybody's like, I'm not going to fight him. Are you going to fight him? 
And so Saul the king is sitting there, and he goes, you know, this is like kind of embarrassing. Like, I have nobody that's going to fight this giant. And of course, as you know, on the scene comes this young shepherd boy named David, and he was there not to fight. He was there to bring food to his brothers who were soldiers, and he just happens to show up as Goliath is basically challenging the Israelite army and cursing Yahweh, cursing the God of Israel. And as David's looking, he's getting reeled in. He's becoming fascinated with what's happening. And finally, he comes up to Saul and he says, is nobody going to do anything? I will go fight the giant. And of course, everybody looks at David and it's like, are you crazy? And he goes, no, I will go fight the giant. If nobody will fight the giant, I'm willing to go. And, uh, and his brothers are mad at him and Saul is like scratching his head and wondering but there's something about David that compels Saul. And if you think about it, this is sort of an interesting thing because, you know, there's a lot riding on this battle. It's not just sending a young shepherd boy to his death. If he dies, Israel loses at least the day. Israel loses this war. And so there's something about David that compels Saul actually to send him. So this is what David says to Saul. And you're starting uh, in verse, where are we? Uh, 32. It says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep and has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, uh, and he will rescue me from the head of this Philistine, from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul goes ahead and sends David. And this is an interesting thing about David, is there was something, as David was watching the scene unfold, there was something deep inside of him that was hugely offended by the way that Goliath was talking about his God. In fact, he was so offended by it that he sort of pushed aside all of the things that would have held him back. I mean, just sort of the, the gall of this young guy to step up in front of the Israelite army and say, well, I'll go fight. Of course, the fear of, you know, likely losing his life doing something like this. But there was something that was so, uh, so offensive to him that he said, you know what, I don't care. I don't care about those things. I am going to step up. I'm going to lead the way. And that's one of the things that we realize is in leadership, courage is needed. And courage comes about very often when there is a situation of fear. Fear can be the thing that immobilizes us. And for many people, that's exactly what fear does. Fear stops us in our tracks. We say, I'm not going to fight him. Are you going to fight him? And we just pull back. But for a leader, fear creates an opportunity. And this is not to say that David did not have fear. I'm sure he did. But instead of shrinking back, he thought, this is a uh, time for me to step up. And we learned something really important about leadership. Leaders are not always the smartest. Leaders are not always the most experienced. Leaders are not always even the best at what they're leading in. But do you know what a leader is? 
A leader is the first in. A leader is the one that steps in and steps up. A leader is the one that says, I'm going to move and you can follow me. And one of the things always to think about in a situation, especially that creates fear in your life, and one of the ways you know whether you lead or not is to ask yourself the question, am I leaning in? Am I stepping up? Am I doing something about this? Am I confronting my fears, trusting God, and moving forward? And we see here that David was doing that, that he stepped up. As this uh, plays out, we read in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. <laughs> the gall of this kid, this is great. This very day I will give the carcass, carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And so we see this incredible faith by David. We see that David does not just see it as a nine-foot giant against a little shepherd boy. That's not how he sees it. What he sees is he sees a nine-foot giant, he sees a little inexperienced shepherd boy, and then he sees the Lord God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that spoke existence into being, the one that holds the whole world together, the ones that brings down kings and raises kings and wipes out nations and controls everything, he sees that God standing right behind him and he says, you know, me by myself, not so good. But with my buddy here, we can make a dent. We can do something here. And that is the way that David sees it. David sees that he is standing for someone that has omnipotence, somebody that is in total control of this situation. And he would say, I know that us together, we together, we can get this job done. And that is something that is a mark of a godly leader. If you're asking yourself, do I lead? One of the questions you have to ask is, do I see that in any situation that I'm in, I'm not there by myself? If I'm doing something that God's called me to do, he is with me. My job is just to be obedient. My job is just to move. My job is to trust that if I step up, he's not going to let me fall. And we see that in David. And finally, we see kind of a cool thing that happens at the end is that uh, after David and Goliath fight, and uh, you guys know the story, who wins? David, good, yeah. David wins. And uh, it, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing and, and pretty gory, really. I mean, he impales him with a stone in his forehead, which, wow. And then, and then he takes, like, the sword and cuts off his head and raises the head up. So kind of a gory scene, you know, it's R-rated movie. And uh, in verse 51, we see how the reaction of the two, two sides goes. It says, uh, in verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, uh, and there really was, like, no question about it at that point, 
They turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Uh, their dead were strewn along the road and Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And I just want to point out, this is such an uh, interesting dynamic in what happens to the Israelite and the Philistine army. Because here's the reality. The fact that you know, David got a lucky shot in on Goliath and Goliath is dead and so forth really shouldn't have changed anything. I mean, really... It should have been that you've still got these two armies pitted against each other. All the soldiers are exactly the same. They all have the same weapons. They're all in the same place. They all, but you know what? There's a huge momentum shift. And the momentum now totally swings to the Israelite army. And the Israelite army fearlessly, remember they were afraid before, now they are fearless. They come down off the hill and start chasing the enemy. And it shows just how much of an impact a godly leader has, a leader that leads in courage. You know, people are waiting in our world for leaders to lead. People are waiting for somebody to step up. When everybody's going up and down the line, I'm not going to fight them, I'm not going to fight them, I'm not going to fight them. When somebody steps up and says, I'll fight them, there's something in human nature that just says, and I'm with you. If you will lead with courage, I will follow you. And we see that taking place in this story in an amazing way. And we know that it's true. We just know intuitively that it's true. When a Martin Luther King stands up and he leads in a powerful way, there's all kinds of people that, you know, maybe they were a little immobilized by fear, but now they're going to step into it. Now if he can do it, I can do it. And that's why God calls us as leaders to courageously Step up and stand up for God, and others will follow. And this is the kind of leadership, leadership in the face of fear, is the kind of leadership where God asks you to be more. Be more than what you are now. See yourself as somebody with a partner like the Almighty God that can really lead and do something significant. Step up into it. Address your fears. Recognize, yes, it's hard. It's scary. There's huge risk. It's threatening to me. I could lose a lot. But if God's called you to move, he also says, I want you to step up. I want you to be more than who you are. I want you to do more. I want you to take a risk, and I will be with you. And that is one of the most important parts of leadership is the courage to face fear and to lean in. And so the question that I have is, are you in a place in your life right now where God is, you know that you've got this situation that is mobilizing you in fear. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something at work that's not going quite right. Maybe it's a situation, you know, you know sort of in your, the family that you came from. Maybe it's a sickness kind of a thing. And God is saying, I want you to step up. I want you to be more than who you are. I want you to have greater faith. I want you to take more risks. I want you to lean in. Because if you move, I will do something. But I'm waiting for you to move. I'm waiting for you to show faith. I'm waiting for you to step into this situation. Is God calling you to do that right now? Is God saying, this, this is your day? This is your day to be more than what you've been. 
Step up. There is another kind of courage. And I want to uh, close our time by talking about this. And it comes through a different set of circumstances. So we all know the Goliath and David story. Most of us don't know this next story. And let me just set it up quickly. David has become king. This is down the line. He's become king. He's having a very successful reign. He has a little, uh, little catastrophe with Bathsheba, if you know the story. But he gets through that. And now uh, Israel is in great shape. He's extended the borders. And uh, they're they they are seeing some prosperity from actually, for the first time in Israel's history, there's some stability coming out of the fact that they've got a government and they've got a king and a military and they are succeeding. And so people are benefiting from that. They're feeling good about themselves as a people. Again, first time in their history where this has happened. It's called the Golden Age of Israel. Golden Age was a very short period of time, and this is part of it. David ushers them into it. Everything was going well. Everything was moving in the right direction. Uh, and then this little thing happens in his family. He has uh, more than one wife, which uh, that is going to create problems, and it does in this circumstance. So he has a daughter named Tamar. And he has a son named Amnon, and he is the father of both, but they have different moms. And Amnon decides that he wants to go to bed with Tamar, uh, which was frowned upon. Not good to go to bed with your half-sister. And he is so consumed with it that eventually when she says no, he rapes her. And, uh, and it creates a huge amount of distress. Everybody knows that it's happened. And uh, David, another son of David, that's Tamar's full sister, uh, full brother, rather, Absalom, is outraged. He's outraged that his half-brother would do this, and he's waiting for David to do something about it. And David, while the Bible says he was furious, did nothing. For two years, he did nothing. And Absalom finally decides, I've got to take matters into my own hands, and he murders his half-brother. And David again is furious. And he does nothing. He does nothing. Absalom has to run for his life because now the military's after him. And he's away for a period of time. And David hates that he's away. He hates the situation that's happened. And he does nothing. There's a refrain here that you guys can probably get pretty quickly. He does nothing. And so Absalom finally... Uh, Somebody comes to David and says, your son needs to come back into the city. And, and, you know, so, and so David says, okay, he can come back into the city. Uh, but Absalom really wants to see David, even to the point of he says, if, if my dad kills me, he kills me, but I want to see my dad. And David does nothing. And you know what Absalom finally does? He finally says, I'm going to take, take over the kingdom. And he does a coup, and it's successful. And David now is running for his life with his military guard. And Absalom is now running the city. He is now, he's basically deposed David as king. That's where this story picks up. It is a totally different kind of story than the Goliath story. Again, you may not have heard it, but this story takes place um, in a place called Baharim. And Baharim we have a picture of kind of the place that you'd want to vacation on, maybe. You know, just a beautiful, beautiful spot there up on that. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, he is walking on maybe a road, maybe that road, a road like that. And this is what happens. This is such an interesting story. 
As uh, King David approached Beharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shemi, Shemi uh, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones through, the, uh, through all the troops, and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shemi said, Get out of here, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishi, son of Zerahah, just for your knowledge, if you don't know how to pronounce something that's biblical, just say it with confidence and nobody knows, um, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zerurha, with confidence, as he cursed, uh, because the Lord said to him, curse David. Who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishi and all of his officials, my son, now this is interesting. Uh, He says, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. So that's Absalom, a reference to Absalom. And then he says, how much more than this Benjamite, in other words, this guy that is pelting me with rocks and cursing me. Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. Now, so the setup here, just so that you know, Saul was the king, and uh, David took over for Saul, and Saul was killed in a battle. The problem with this scenario is this guy, this guy that's the David hater, actually has his facts all messed up. David did not kill Saul, and in fact, he took vengeance on the person who did kill Saul. David spared Saul constantly. So this accusation is not really a just accusation. The fact is, David acted totally honorable towards Saul, and God was the one, basically, that put David into Saul's place. This guy's got the story messed up. He is cursing David. He's throwing rocks on this desert road. David's already running from his son. You know, we know how the story ends up. David eventually gets the kingdom back, but he doesn't know that at this time. This is as low as he could be. Imagine you in that place. This little skinny guy in a robe is cursing you and throwing rocks at you and accusing you of things that are not true. And the guy next to you who's a soldier says, let me just go cut off his head and think of how you would handle that situation. I know how I'd handle that situation. That guy would not be a problem for me anymore. And that's not what David does. Because there's a different kind of courage that we need to have in the face of pride. And that's what David is dealing with here. He's dealing with a pride issue. He is messed up. It's his fault that he's on the run. He recognizes that. That's why he says this statement. He goes, he might be all screwed up about the Saul thing. He's totally wrong about what he's accusing me of. But I've got plenty of blame to go around because what I've done to Absalom, how I've handled this situation is horrible. These are God's words for me. They're coming through a mouth that I don't like. They're not even totally accurate but I need to put my pride down right now and accept the criticism. I have not done well. The courage to handle fear is significant. But it's also an ego stroke. 
And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying when we lean into courage and we do something that's amazing and people come around us and they go, yeah, you're the man. There's something very satisfying about that. There's an ego stroke that goes with that. When we put pride down, there is no ego stroke. It hurts. It's painful. At the very core of who we are, we are pushing something down that wants to speak when we face pride this way. And it is amazing to me that David does not react. Rather, he accepts. Uh, years ago, when my sons were teenagers, uh, we had sort of this Black Friday night. And, uh, and by Black Friday, I mean, it was just, it was the worst night maybe, well, of my parenting life without a doubt, one of the worst nights of my life. And so Julie and the girls and I were at a party, and our boys were home, uh, we thought. They weren't home. They had, they had taken the car, which neither of them had a driver's license, so that's strike one. They had driven to the uh, local market, and uh, one of our sons had gone in and stolen a pack of cigarettes, strike two, which is just a beautiful thing. And, uh, and then strike three is they got caught, and so we were called in. And so Julie stayed at the party with the girls, and I went in to get the boys and bail them out. And I was totally confused and a little naive, and I couldn't believe these were my sons. Surely you've got the wrong boys, but sure enough, I show up. It is them. Whoa. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, okay. So anyway, we go back to our house, and I am just livid. I am livid. And I say, you're coming to the party that we're at. I don't trust you staying at home. I'm laying down the law. This is the way it's going to be. I'm leading the way a godly leader should lead. And uh, as I get out of the car, I said, we're going to go inside, you're going to change, and we're going to this party. I went, got out of the car and went around to open the doors to have them in. They locked me out of the car. It was a beautiful moment. It was, you know, David has nothing on me of this little guy cursing him and throwing stones. I am, and I just open this door. And so finally, one of my son's caves opens the door. I grab them both by the collar. We march down into the house. They're swearing and just all kinds. I mean, they're flailing and swearing and trying to get me off their back. And I push them into the, the, the house. And the words that came out of my mouth will not be repeated here. And what I did, uh, you're never going to find out. But it was just not a pretty moment. It was not a pretty moment. And you, what I realized is it was a complete reaction. It was a total reaction. And the reality is I had now for months been not listening to them and not paying attention to what was going on. And now that this crisis had hit, you know, I felt like I had this righteous indignation. And the reality is it wasn't righteous. I didn't know what was going on. And they had been reacting. And not that what they did was right. It wasn't. But I had so messed up that situation. And I had not done what David did. I did not swallow my pride. I did not say, we need to sit down and talk, guys, because there's obviously a problem here. David models for us the way, at times, we need to handle a situation, not to react, but to accept and to listen and to have the courage to swallow our pride. And he does it here. As you continue on in the story, and we need to wrap it up, but as we continue on in the story, uh, 
David says this in verse 12. And by the way, you notice this isn't up on the verse, right? I mean, up on the screen. That's because you're supposed to be there in your Bibles. And did I even tell you where the story was? See, it's just, you guys, fine. What's Kevin doing? He's out of control. 2 Samuel 16, 2 Samuel 16, verse 12. (coughs) I just thought you had this part memorized. Sorry, guys. Okay, so in verse 12, it says this word, as, as David's sort of looking over it, he says, may may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. In other words, and this is a cool thing, David looks at the situation, and instead of doing what I would do if I was the king still and had all these warriors with me, he says, you know what, I'm not going to depend on myself, and I'm not going to solve the problem myself. I'm going to depend on God. I'm going to back up, and I'm going to wait for God to do something. And for people that are leaders, type A personalities, the hardest thing in the world is to say, I can't handle it, and I need God to handle this. And that's what we see David doing here. David says, I'm going to back up and recognize that at this point, God's got to handle it. And again, this is courage in the face of pride. We don't want to do that. We want to take control. We want to set it right. I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out of this mess. And David has the wisdom to say, no, I'm going to wait on God. And then finally, we see uh, the last thing that I think is amazing is in verse 13, it says, so David and his men continued. This is such a, oh, what a picture this is in my mind. So they continue on the road, and Shami is going along the hillside opposite. So it's not like they get past him. Like he's walking along on the hillside, and he's continuing to curse him and throw rocks at him. I mean, it like goes on and on and on. And, you know, there's a lot of rocks out there. So, he, like, he's not running out of rocks. And he's not running out of curses. And so, you know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, this guy, you know, fall off a cliff and died. Something here. This is crazy. But here's what is so cool is they just continue to march on. They just continue to go in the direction God has them placed. And when they get where they need to be, finally they get a little bit refreshed. And I just think... You know, the courage to walk humbly in a situation that's hard. Again, we want to fix it. We want to get this over with. I'm going to move into this. But, you know, there's times where God says, I need you to just keep going. I know that it's hard, and I need you to just keep going. I need you to swallow your pride. Maybe you could fix it, but at this point, I just need you to keep going and be faithful and to do what I've asked you to do. So, you know, like when I think of a single parent raising their kid, and maybe there's ways to solve that somehow. You know, I could take matters in my own hand, and I'll go get married even if it's not the right person, or I'll do this or that. And God says, no, 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 no. No, I just need you to be faithful. Just trust me. I need need you to walk a little bit. I know that it's hard. And I know there's a certain courage of just knocking your pride down. Or maybe it's a work situation. And you're just like, well, I'm just going to quit. I mean, I don't need this. Or I'm just going to fire him. I don't need him. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I need you to walk a little bit in this. I know you could figure this out, but I need you to walk in it for just a little bit. And I love that David does that. And so, you know, let me just give you the big picture here. When it's fear, God calls us to be more. When it's pride, God calls us to be less. And I'm just saying, in my life, the call to be less is way harder. It takes a lot more courage to be less than to be more. And there's wisdom. 
There's wisdom on figuring out where is God calling me right now? Is he calling me to lean into a, a fear issue and I need to step up and become more and trust that he's got my back? Or is this an issue where it's a pride issue? And he's just saying, I need you to step down. You're not going to be the hero in this story. And that's okay. You don't need to be the hero every time out. I need you to swallow your pride. I need you to trust me. I just need you to be faithful through this situation. And it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel like that desert road the whole way. But you'll honor me if you do it. And I know that it will take tremendous pride, tremendous courage. You know, John the Baptist, one of my favorites in the New Testament, he's the guy, you know, when you think of courage, he's the guy that shows down with the religious leaders of the day. He's the guy that puts them in their place. He's the guy that just doesn't care about what happens. He gets thrown into prison. He's like, whatever. You see that courage and fear. But you know what was the most courageous statement he ever made when his disciples were starting to go to Jesus? And some, some of his disciples go, you, that, that can't feel good to you. That can't feel good that, that your followers are now following somebody else. And he said, he needs to be greater and I need to be less. That to me is one of the most courageous statements in the entire Bible. And I'm just asking, are you in a season where that's what God, your courage now is being called to put down your pride. Put down your pride in this circumstance. This is the situation I'm calling you to. Would you bow your head? And I want to pray for us in this matter. I, um, I put on your outline some psalms that were written. Actually, David wrote them during this season when he was freeing, uh, fleeing from Absalom. He wrote more psalms during this period of his life when he was exiled from the throne than any other time in his life. And you can see him wrestle with the courage it takes to put down his pride. So let me read these psalms to you. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Is God calling you right now to say, listen, you need to accept this criticism. Don't lash back. Don't react. Take it in. Pray about it. Have a godly response. Psalm 61 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. And Jesus, you know, some of us are in a situation that is so difficult, so hard. And we want to power up and fix it and just get through it. And you're telling us to depend on you. You're telling us to put it in your hands and recognize that you have a way of solving this. But that we'll need to put our pride down. I pray that you would help us to do Finally, in Psalm 143, it says, David writes, Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. 
Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And some of us, Jesus, you're just calling to continue walking the walk we're going on. And it's hard. And we want to give up. And we want to change directions. And we think we can figure this out. And you're just asking us to be faithful right now. To do your will. And I pray that you would help those of us that are in that situation perseverance and endurance and the faith to walk this hard road with you holding us through it. Lord, we are people that you have called to lead and we know that we need your courage and whether it's courage to face fear and to become greater or courage to face pride and to become smaller, we pray that you would give us courage. Help us to lead in that courage.